Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. All right. See, let's get back where, where we left off. So, so up to verse 25, the, the, the bottom line picture is this. Jesus does this great miracle out of compassion for the crowd. And we find out earlier that they were there listening to him preach and teach. He uh, performs this great miracle um, to feed them. And uh, then he leaves them, goes across the, ocean, the sea there. And they follow him not because they want to hear another message, but because they want another meal. And their desire to make him king had nothing to do with the fact that they really believed he was their Messiah, but it was because he gave them some dinner. All right, gave them some food. And Christ hits that. And now what he's going to do, this next section here is the bread of life section, where he's he's going to take this, this physical concept of bread and manna and shift it to a spiritual application. And Jesus answered and said, verse 26, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because eight of the loaves were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. What food do you want? Do you want the food that perishes or the food that goes to eternal life? Now, he's making the contrast here between the physical sustenance, the bread which he fed them, and the true bread which gives eternal life. And he's trying to bring them to an understanding of what the real value is. What kind of bread did they really want from Christ by wanting him to give them more food? Well, the physical, right? But what kind of bread was he really trying to give them? The spiritual bread, who he was, the message. And they didn't want that. They wanted dinner again. And you see their confusion here. They said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Okay, how do we do the works of God? Now, what are they still keyed in on? What kind of bread are they thinking of here? Physical bread. bread. They're no better than the woman at the well, right? What did she want? A drink of water that would make her never thirsty again. What do they want? They want bread that will make them never hungry again. All right. And Jesus answered and said to him, you want to do the work of God? What is the work of God here? The idea of work here is what? What's another good word for work here? The will. What, what do we need to do to do the will of God, the works that God wants? What do we need to do? And what did Christ tell him? Believe. You want to do the will of God? You believe. Now this keys into what we have here. God's will. And by the way, the, the passage in Peter there that, that was... You know, God is not willing that any should perish. Um, go study the context of that passage. Okay? And you'll find a couple of things there. Number one, there, there's two, there's like two major ways to interpret that passage in 1 Peter 3. One is, the, the word for willing there is not philema, the will of, of um, determination, but rather bulamai, the will of desire. There's two words in the Greek. One will is God determines something that's going to happen. Another one is his desire, right? We all have desires. 
you know, it's my will that everybody in here pass it, pass the class. That's my desire, right? Hopefully you all, pay. I'm sure you all will. But I mean, that's my will, right? My desire is that, you know, your your will for your kids are that they grow up and, and, and know the Lord. That's your desire for them. That's certainly not your determinative will, right? Because you can't make it happen. But that's your desire, right? And Peter could be interpreted as saying, God's desire is that men repent. And in context, the question that Peter is asking is, why is God's judgment being held back? I mean, everybody's saying, well, since the fathers fell asleep, everything continues as it was from the beginning of creation. Where is the sign of his coming? Where is, you're talking here about Peter, you're talking about judgment, you're talking about fire, you're talking about brimstone, you're talking about the dissolution of the elements. Okay, where is it? Because as long as we can remember, everything's been going on just as it is. We haven't seen anything yet. And Peter's saying, well, the reason God's holding off judgment is because his desire is that men not perish. Now, if it was God's perfect will that men not perish, what would happen? Everybody goes to heaven. You're a universalist now. Yeah. Well, anyway. The difference between God's determined will and God's desire. I'm sorry? God has all power. How can he have a desire and not have it be a determined will? Because he has a personality. He can certainly do that. God can have a desire. I mean, you see, and, and how do you know that? Well, the scripture bears it out. I mean, I know that God can have a desire up different from his determinative will because the scripture shows that he has a di desire different from his determinative will. Relationship with Israel. He desired, yeah, and they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen. And he called them stiff-necked and rebellious and, you know, he said, well, why don't you just override all their will and make them automatons and come to you? It doesn't work that way. And again, you're going to hit on some things here where, where ultimately the only way you're going to get an answer to this you're going to have to go to heaven, and you're going to have to ask God yourself, and he'll say, well, I just wanted to do it that way. So there's your answer. <laughs> um, God does have a will, a, de a desired will, that is different from his determinative will. All right? Because if that passage was talking about it's God's determinative will that none should perish, then we're universalists. That can't be what that means, because there's other passages where men clearly die. And like God said, I have no death in the pleasure. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Remember God said that back in Psalms? You know, God has personality, he has emotion. All right. That's one way to understand it. Another way to understand it is to realize who is Peter talking to? Well, Peter wrote to the elect scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And so another way to interpret that passage, you got to sort this all out. And, and study it up on your own. But another way that that can be interpreted is Peter's talking to the elect and saying, one of the reasons that God's judgment is held back is because God is not willing that any of the elect should perish. They all should come to repentance. If, what would happen if God uh, decided to have the rapture the day before you became a Christian? Right? <laughs> or what if his judgment fell before you were born? Or before you heard the gospel? Or before. And, and I think that's probably what Peter's getting at here. And there's. you gotta, you got to study that on your own, all right? But that, that's a way to make the passage fit. 
all right? That Peter's saying God's holding back his punishment, God's holding back his judgment, because he's not willing that any of those whom he has chosen would perish. And he's going to hold back his judgment until they come to repentance, after which his judgment will fall. There is coming a day when time is up, right? Yeah. That's another way to interpret that. And what Christ is saying here is you want to do God's will? Believe on me. You want to do his work? You believe on me. And he connects it to his will. Now, what did the adults, I mean, the people ask him? What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? It's like, hello, anybody home? Yeah, I love that. I love that. You know, back to you. McFly, anybody home? McFly. You know, you can almost hear him knocking. What have I just done? What had he just done? He fed 5,000 of them with five loaves and fish. And not only that, but he spent the whole day healing them. And it comes like, well, you know, you know, before we we need a sign that you're 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 for real here. It's like, you got breakfast in you? yeah. <laughs> and, and here's the point. Yeah, here's the point that needs to be made again. The unbeliever will always seek for signs, and no matter how many signs they have, they will still what? They want more. Give me another one. Give me another sign. Again and again and again. Don't think that if you can do some fancy dancy miracle, people are going to believe. They aren't. They aren't. In today's Christian, they they for Christian. Is it a temptation? God gives you, I know, that they cannot make a rich people. But they always temptation. Mm -hmm. Some rich people, maybe they bless them. Some people cannot bless Trust their way. The same thing. Right, right. I thought they taught, but yeah. They taught like that in a lot of churches, though. What's that? If you, uh, people always complain. You don't got no money, then you ain't, you, you know, you're not blessed by, by God. Because God don't. Um, you've, turned, you've turned God into the celestial bank teller. Yeah, right. And what you've right. done is you've made him. Dependent on what he does for you. And you know what? That's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. It's what you owe God. And then they use the scripture uh, about how God uh, said it in part of his covenant. He'll bless you to be a blessing. How you going to be blessed? That's talking about spiritual blessing to Israel, not to you as a Christian. Right. That's where hermeneutics, 101. Yeah. A lot of preachers come out of that, you know, you the head and not the tail. Yeah, yeah. What, what's, the, what's the three most important things about interpreting scripture? Context. 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 And, and when you blow that, you, you, you're, you're, it's all bets are off. Oh, man, that's all around. Oh, it is. It is. And what you find, you know, you want to read it, just read Second Peter, where he's talking about the false prophets who through covetousness will... With feigned words, they'll make merchandise of you. What do you think Benny Hinn does? Yeah, he, he is a he is about he's a he's a false prophet from the get go because the Christianity is all about 
wealth and health and what you get out of it. And God owes you this and God owes you that. That that is he is. Whenever whenever you have a message of the gospel that caters to your sinful nature of covetousness or whatever, that's that's not the gospel. So do you people, I mean, you really truly ask you if they don't love God at all? Nope. <clears throat> can't serve God and man. You can't serve them both. Benny Hinn says, I don't want the gold in heaven. I want it down here. Unfortunately for Benny, the only gold he gets is what he gets down here. Because he doesn't have any in heaven. I heard one say on the radio one time, this been many years ago, he said, it's not the love of money that's the root of all evil. It's a lack of money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> these guys, these guys, these guys are false prophets. They are, be, they are to be immediately dismissed and not heard from. You have no business watching them, no business exposing yourself to them. They're poison. There aren't a lot of them. There aren't a lot of them. You can you can find you can find them now and then. You can find them now and then. You know. I mean, these guys, these guys really. I mean, some of these guys preach, 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 preach. Well, they're the, they're the Matthew seven crowd. Lord, Lord, did we not? And he said, well, I, I don't know who you guys are. I don't know you. But 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 we but we cast out Dan. I don't know who you are. They're like the seven sons of Sceva, right? Hey, we heard about this name of Jesus thing. Let's see if it works, you know. Demons said, well, we know Paul, we know Jesus, we don't know you guys. Beat them up, ripped their clothes off, and threw them out of the house. You know, and when I say that, people say, ah, oh, you know, Alan, you're being so harsh and critical. How dare you judge this great man I got look? What's he preaching? He's not preaching Christ crucified. He's not preaching. Benny Hinn is not going to say, God wants you broken before him. In repentance, God wants you. God wants you. It's sin. He's not talking about that. God is this 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 deity that's supposed to make you a happy person and give you all the goodies, and that's not who God is. That's a misrepresentation of God. Being, I mean, like you know, just all around being truthful. How many? In this room, really got like saved. I know we are elect, but far as like under a ministry of some people like that, some preachers like that, just you know. Benny Hinn doesn't preach Christ crucified. I mean, talking, I'm talking about like preachers just the, the preach that you know if you don't if you, if you don't have a lot of money or if you you know something you're not it, doing right. It's covetousness. It's all it. It's covetousness. It's, it's, it's pure, unadulterated covetousness. And what happens is you've got a bunch of people who want to hear that. That's what it is. Oh, it's easy to have a big church. Just tell people what they want. That's what Bob Schuler did. He went out and he did a little bit of a survey in his community, find out what people wanted to hear, gave it to him, and has a big church. It's not the gospel, but it's a big church. 
to make it true. Yeah. I heard it said it's a good religion to live by, but not a good religion to die by. Christ, and, and, and when Christ stood up, he said, if you're not willing to give up your father, your sister, your mother, your brother, everything for me, I don't want you. If you're not willing to take up your cross and follow me daily. Now, those people knew exactly what that meant. That did not mean you had a little bit of a burden. My mother-in-law is a cross. I got a bear. You've heard that. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about you're going off to execution. Christ is saying, if you're not willing to pick up that cross and follow me to the to Calvary and get yourself nailed on a cross and die with me, I don't want you. I don't want you. Go away. I'll follow you, but let me bury my father first. Get out. Let the dead bury the dead. You don't need to bury your father. Let me go say bye to mom and dad. Look, if you put your hand in the prowl, look back. I don't want you. Christ has to come first. It's a it's a total abandonment of everything. It's not what you get out of it. Christ's call to discipleship was your life. That's our biggest struggle. Your life. You give it up. Christ is saying, you know, is, is salvation a divine transaction? In a sense, it is. You give up all that you have for all that he is. The difference is he's got a whole lot more than you got. But you give it all up. I use it the example of Bill Gates who walks in here and he says, I have in my pocket a check worth at least a billion dollars. I'll trade it for everything in your wallet. What would you do? That's what Christ is doing. Nicodemus actually was born again, but the rich young ruler wasn't. Why? Because he wasn't willing to give it up. Christ's call is everything. And that's what he's telling these people. That's what they're not getting. They're in it for food or for, for a miracle or something. They're not in it for who he is. They're not interested, and you're going to see that. And they say, well, what's the work you're going to do? What miracle? Um, our fathers gave us manna. Now, what are they hitting at? What did they want him to do? More food. More food because they're going back to God giving, or Moses. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. Creed. He gave them from bread, of he bread from heaven to eat. What are they doing? They're, they're, they're trying to back him into a corner. Hey, you want, you want us to believe, you know, we need a sign of, you know, our father's got manna in the wilderness. You know, it's some more breakfast. Yeah. Let's see some more. I see a couple of different followers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you're going to see him. They're going to see him sort out here. And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father. It wasn't Moses that gave you the bread. <clears throat> Who gave you the bread? God did. My father gives you the true Bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The true bread of God is me. You're looking for the physical bread to fill your stomachs. God is giving you, offering you true bread, bread that will fill your spiritual needs. The true manna is the sun that's coming down from heaven. That is the true bread. That is the true sustenance. That's true life. And he said, Lord, give us this bread always. 
The idea there, give us this bread always what? Yeah, let, let's keep getting this bread down from heaven to stay full. They were still back on the physical food. Jesus answered and said to them, they're missing it. <coughs> See, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. I'm the true bread of life. What kind of thirst, what kind of hunger is he talking about? Spiritual. What are they looking at? Physical. They weren't. And see, here's the point. This, this, this is the problem here, okay? When you, we go back talk about these boys on TV, they're preaching this false gospel. What are they keyed in on? The physical or the spiritual? It's the physical. That's not where it's at. It's the spiritual. That's the focus. And whenever you focus on the physical, you're off. You're, you're, you're wrong. You're, you're, that's not the gospel. That's not the message of God. And Christ was trying to, 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 to shatter their, their, their focus in on this, on this physical food and manna and, and food and, and breakfast and dinner and lunch and, and, and trying to give them the spiritual connection. That's important. But this is critical to eternal life. And the real bread is not the physical bread. It's the spiritual bread that comes down from heaven. It is eternal life. And Christ said, I'm the bread. If you partake of me, you will never hunger and never thirst spiritually. And they were back on the physical <coughs> components. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet... Do not believe. You've seen me, you've seen the works, you've heard me, and you still don't believe. And now Christ is going to explain election. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. Who's that? The elect. When were you given to Christ? Before time began. Go back to 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy 1. We were given, we were given to him, we were promised to him before the foundation of the world. Before time began. I think it's 2 Timothy, if I'm not mistaken. I should have wrote this down so that I have it at the top of my my head. Um, yeah, First, Second Timothy 1, verse 9, or verse 8. Let's, let's read this. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Listen. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. He saved us. 2 Timothy 1, 8 and 9. He saved us and called us with a holy calling when? Before time began. And it was not on the basis of what? Our works, anything we did. 
its own purpose before time began. When did God the Father give us to Christ? When did God the Father say, Christ, here's the elect. Here's the those that I have chosen to give you. When did that happen? That was before time began. Before creation. God created time. You realize that? Yes. Yes. Pardon? I'm working on him. <laughs> Before time began, huh? I'm going to believe what I read in God's holy That's all you. That's all you can do. All right, and you'll wind up to be. You'll wind up being a schizo, just like the rest of us here. All right. But what Jesus is saying, all that the Father's given to me will come to me. Okay, so if I'm elect, what's going to happen to me in time? I'm going to come. There's nobody. Well, all the Father gives me, uh, some of them will make it. Some of them will get there. I'll get there. And by the way, if you come to him, what's he going to do? He's not going to turn you aside. Christ is saying, the Father gave you to me. There's no way I'm going to turn you aside. There's no way I'm going to say, I don't want the gift that the Father gave me. There's no way I'm going to toss you out. Oh, by the way, that answers the whole problem here of once saved, always saved, right? See, that problem disappears. Because if you are elect in eternity past, what's going to happen? You're going to what? You're going to come to Christ. And Christ is not going to what? No. Cast you aside. Well, the Holy Spirit's going to work on our life. We're going to preach that You bet. Regeneration is not an ending point. It's the beginning point. Our lives then will bear witness to the fact that we are regenerated. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All right? So actually the work of the Spirit, that's actually a confirming uh, experience in our daily walk with him, seeing that things mm-hmm. take place, changing us from the old... He changes you, but you. I'm called to obey, but the only way I can obey is that he grants me the ability to obey. But I have to obey, you know. Um, if you're not convinced yet, Romans chapter eight has a great verse on this. Yeah, and I'm like, it says here, uh, verse 28. We all know this one. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. The called in Greek is eklecto, the elect ones. Who has all things work together for good? The elect. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, immediately people say, okay, well, then God just knew beforehand. No, the word there in the Greek means to mark out beforehand, to select beforehand. Now, from 1 Timothy, when did, or 2 Timothy 1, when did he select beforehand? Before time began. Okay, so before time began, God selected, right? The Father selected, okay? And he selected you to do, be what? Conform to the image of his son. Now listen. Moreover, 
those he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, those he predestined, those he also did what? Call. This is the effectual call. There comes a point when you are called. And listen, those he called, what did he do? Justified. justified. And those he justified, what did he do? Glorified. glorified. Okay, when's glorification? Eternity future. When were you, pre when were you, you called? Marked out beforehand. Alright, here's the point. Nobody gets lost. God did not, listen, God did not elect you to salvation. God elected you to glorification. Your salvation is one of the steps along the way. You've got a chain that begins before time began, and it goes all the way through to eternity in glorification. And it says those who were chosen were predestined. The predestined, all of them were called. All the called were justified. All the justified were glorified all the way through. No one gets lost. There's nobody that's going to miss it out. Your salvation is secure. So long as the Ephesians chapter 5, that's when we will uh, all say you're going to be an imitator of God. You're going to be an imitator of God. And, and, and what Romans 8, 28, 29, 30, and 31 are teaching you is your election was not to salvation. Your election was to glorification. It's for God's purpose. For his own purpose. His own will, his own pleasure. Also, Ephesians chapter 1. We are predestinated, why? According to the good pleasure of his will, which he purposed in himself. He wanted to. And what Christ is saying here is all that the Father has given me, and when did he give them to him in eternity past, all that the ones that he gave to me are going to come to me. Every one of them. And those that come to me, I'm not going to turn them aside. I'm not going to diss them. I'm going to receive them. So, he, he created, no, he chose me before time or before creation? Before time. Creation is the beginning of time. Okay, he, he, fore, he foreknew me at the instant of creation. Instant he knew you before time. I don't understand how that works out. That was the plan when he started, when he created the heavens. Prior, prior, to, prior to creation, there was no such thing as time. Because God is self-existent. He has no beginning. If there's no beginning, there's no time that he wasn't there. So there can't be time. So was Adam an elect? Was he Probably. Elect? Yeah. We had no, else, no one else to come to. So he first, uh, first Adam had to be elect. Probably Adam is, is, is elect, yes. But okay, now let's, let's follow this through now, okay? So we got one part now, right? God gave the elect to Christ before time began, and those are going to come to Christ, and he's not going to cast them aside. All right? That's fine. I believe Adam was a true believer. He he was a true believer in God. So you, so you believe that the punishment, the penalty came upon all those who followed after Adam, but it didn't, not Adam. 
Oh, he fell into sin, yeah, but he happened to be one of the elect. He, the Genesis God created him. Yeah. And then blessing him. He elected us. Blessing. Yeah, think about that one, but. But anyways, all right. Verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will. Okay, so Christ said, I didn't come from heaven to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Right? And he said that before. I did not come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. What is the will of him who sent me? This is the will of him who sent me. That all that he has given me, I should lose nothing, but raise it up at the last day. Okay, who's the all that he has given me? The elect. The elect. And what happens? I will raise it up what? The elect by my faith. That's glorification. So all that he gave me, it's God's will, and this is his determinative will. It is the determinative will of God that all the ones he gave me, I would lose nothing, but I'm going to raise them up at the last day. <coughs> right? Now, so far, what... What aspect of divine sovereignty, human responsibility, is focused in on? Divine, divine sovereignty. Right now, it's all God. We're, we're just, we're either one of the elect or we're not. We're not really contributing to this other than we're elect or we're not elect. All right? So far. You follow it so far? Yeah, I'm following. Okay. So the will of God, the will of God is that all that God has given Christ... Christ is going to raise at the last day. Right? Okay? How many of you took geometry? All right. Many years ago. All right? So you've got a group here, and we're going to call it A. Okay? Group A. And they're the what? They're the group that God gave Christ before the foundation of the world. All right? And the will of God is what's going to happen to group A? They're going to be raised again from the dead. All right. So A is equal to C. <laughs> all right. A is the elect. C is raised from the dead. Those are going to be glorified. We're going to be raised from the dead. So far, got it. So far, okay. So A is equal to C. All right. That group, whatever group it is that that Father gave Christ, is going to be raised again at the last day. In verse 40, oh, this is also the will of him who sent me. That everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. All right, so we got another group here. Which group B? Those who see and believe. So we got group B. What happens to group B? They get Yeah, they're raised up again at the last day. A is equal to B. So what is A and B? How are they related? They're equal. They're the same. All right. A is equal to C and C is equal to B. There's your answer. There's your answer. Christ said it, not me. All right. Christ said it, not me. All that the Father gave Christ will come to him. He will raise him up at the last day. All who see the Son and believe in Him will be raised up at the last day. Therefore, A and B are the same. Who are the elect? They're the ones who see the Son and believe in Him. And if you are elect, what will you do? You will see the Son and believe in Him. 
All right. The only other way to understand this is to say there are two different groups. There's a group that gets to heaven by election, and there's another group that gets to heaven by making a choice. I don't want to go down that path. That's a tough one. There's two ways to heaven now. But you always tell us to try and put ourselves in the minds of the people at that time. So the people that were listening to Jesus, they weren't hearing Jesus saying that I created you before time began. That was explained later by, by Paul. There's a fuller understanding of that later, okay? And we can go to that to understand the fuller understanding. Within this context, Christ is saying, there is a group that the Father gave me. That group that the Father gave me will come to me. But they couldn't have possibly understood Jesus to talk about before time began. Not at this point. Somebody who sees and believes is going to get Yeah, not at this point. All right? Not, not, not at this point. Don't you think he's talking to the Jews who their very birth, they're God's people? Yeah. <clears throat> they think they're already in, and Christ is saying, no, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And who are the ones that come to me? Those who see and believe. They're the ones that the Father gave. Okay? In the Lord 49, that all that he has given me is Say the perfect tense. So, the, before, until yeah. now and future, maybe. We got a grammarian. Tense. We, yeah, we got a grammarian here. That's a very important. Right. When, when were the, all that the Father has given me? When does the, when was the given taken place? The in the past. That's why present perfect tense. Yeah, it's in the, the past. Forty is a present tense. Everyone who Behold the sun into the in time. In time. You've got before time and in time. And to really understand, and John's John's hit a good point here. To really understand the full import of this, we have to bring in the passages in Ephesians and Timothy and, and others to really understand the full import. But they could still understand what was being said at the time it was given. Christ is saying, The Father has given me some, and I'm not going to lose any of them. I'm not going to lose them. And who are the ones that, that I'm not going to lose? They're the ones who see and believe. They stay going on. Alright. So what you see is God's election and eternity past does not preclude you seeing and believing. They're intimately connected. And you seeing and believing is not possible without being one of the ones chosen in the eternity past. That's the best way I can explain it. I don't know how else to give it to you. And it doesn't make any sense to us, does it? Especially in light of, you know, but but the point is later on Christ says, If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have part of me. That, that he's not saying he's saying that to the whole crowd, but who's gonna who are the ones that are going to believe? The elect. Although the offer is given to all, only the elect will respond. The offer is bona fide, it's a bona fide offer to all, but only the elect will believe. That's, the, that's how I understand it. They don't understand Steve, No. So really, in essence, only those that are saved get the spiritual insight to understand. 
Yeah. You sounded more and more like a Calvinist every time he's talked, which is good. As long as we stay in the physical realm, we'll never understand the nope. spiritual. Nope. The offer is there. I use the example of Oberlin. I was I worked for financial or worked on a financial aid system at Oberlin College. They offer financial aid to five thousand people, but only twenty five hundred go to school. I'm not kidding. That's how it works. You offer admission to five thousand. Now, if all five thousand of them accept, you're 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 in trouble. But what do they know from statistics? Not all of them are good. But the offer is a bona fide offer. It's a valid bona fide offer, but not everybody's going to accept the offer. <laughs> That's a bad way, maybe, but it's it's a crude way. From the from the school's point of view, the offer is bona fide, but not everyone's going to accept it. So when God originated the plan, he knew that even though he offered it to everyone, only a certain percentage was going to accept. He knew that because he ordained it. That's one step beyond. He ordained who those would be. What if we Jesus in the heaven? How many be over there? I'm sorry? You ready for loom? For new. For new. Yeah, loom. Loom. Oh. Yeah. You ready for loom for us? Yeah. How many loom are for us? Yeah. How many loom are in the heaven? Now here it says, now let's keep going. So, so he explains this, all right? Then verse 41, the Jews complained about him because he said, I'm the bread of life which comes down from heaven. The idea is they grumble. They couldn't figure out what he's saying. He's the bread of life. Isn't, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is that he says, I come down from heaven? Well, wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. I remember this guy growing up. What is this? The... The bread of life business. He, he's, he's Joseph's kid. Come on. Who is this? You know? And Jesus said to them, do not murmur among yourselves. Listen. 44 is very important. No man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. Ooh, I got something else here. New, right? Okay. What else we got now? We got D is equal to what? C. All right. So here, put it all together. The ones that the Father gave me will come to me. All who see the Son and believe, I will raise up the last day. And the only way I'll raise you up the last day is that the Father draws you to me. I mean, any way you carve it, you know, as you look at this thing. <laughs> You know, you're any way you look at it. I don't I, look. If you got a better explanation for this, I'd love to hear it. I mean, I don't know how else to interpret it. I don't have a better explanation. I just, I think this verse, uh, I think it again reassures us that it's God and not man <clears throat> providing that salvation. You know, we have nothing to do wrong with God. How is it that you see the Son and believe? The Father draws you. The, and what does it mean to be drawn there? It means God sovereignly works to bring you in your life to a point where you can believe. <coughs> That's what it is. It's God who does it, not you and not me. 
Don't remember, you can't come to me unless the Father who sent me draws you, and I will raise you up at the last day. As is written in the prophets, they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has learned and learned from the Father comes to me. It, it's, he's wrapping it up. He, I mean, he's, he's packing it just so that there's no confusion as to what is being said. The elect are given to me. I will not cast them out. If you believe in me, I'm going to raise you at the last day. How do you believe in me? The Father draws you to me and grants you the ability to see. And if you have heard and seen and believe in me, it's because the Father drew you. It's not because some slick evangelist talked you into it. Not, anyone, not that anyone has seen the Father except he is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. <coughs> it's the Father who does the drawing. It's the Father who does the wooing. And it's the Spirit who grants us light and understanding and regeneration. You realize it takes all three members of the Trinity to get you to heaven? That's how bad off we are. It takes all three of them working together to bring us to heaven. Verse 49, your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and are dead. You want, the, you want the physical bread? You know, all your fathers ate that and they're dead now. They've been long dead. But this is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die spiritually. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give you is my flesh which I give for the life of the world. I am the true bread. And what is that bread? It is my life. It is me. It is my death. How is it that God can forgive you? How is it that he can draw you? Well, Christ had to die for you. There's a sacrifice that needed to be made. He's not saying, and it's, you see here, the Jews quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh? They're still thinking physical terms, physical terms, physical bread, physical manna, physical water. We got to eat it. We got to take a bite out of Christ. Now, that's what the Catholics say, right? Yeah. <laughs> got to take a bite out of Christ. I remember John MacArthur asking some guys, well, what would you have done if you were there? So I would have ran up to Christ and took a bite out of his arm. It's like, yeah, it's silly. That's not... What does it mean to, to partake of this bread? It means to go all in. You know, poker's a big thing. I, I don't want anybody to watch poker on TVs beyond me, but, you know, Christ is saying, you want me, you go all in. You hold nothing back. And to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood means to be what? To be partaker of what he went through. In a sense, he's saying, if you're... You need to die with me. You need to die to yourself. You need to die to your desires, your wants, what you want in life. You've got to give it all up for Christ. All that he is for all that you are. You're willing to do that. Then Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whosoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. 
Here we got this raise him up at the last day again, right? Now, what is he doing here? He's bringing in the cost component. What's the cost component for those who believe, those who hear and believe? What is, what is required of them? To just hear and believe? And who's doing that? The father who's drawing, right? So, so I mean, just think of all the lessons you get out of this. Think how practical it is in evangelism. You don't save anyone. Your, your, your job, someone said, is to take the food to the table and not dump it on the floor. You didn't, you didn't cook the meal. You didn't, you, didn't, you didn't choose what would be served. Your job is to take it from the kitchen, get it to the table, and not slop it on the floor. That's your job. Your job is not to make the person like the gospel presentation. Your job is not to water it down to make it palatable for them, to make them like it better, or maybe raise the probability of them making a decision for Christ. You're to just take it, what God said, the way he said it, all the costs involved, this costs your life, you've got to give up all that you have for all that he has, that's your job. And the Holy, the God the Father is going to draw those people to himself, Right? And those people who hear the Son and believe are going to be willing to do what? Give it all up. Don't water the gospel down. Good night. You don't need to. Who's building this church? You or Christ? Christ is. You don't need to build a church. Now, does that relieve us of the responsibility to proclaim the gospel? Absolutely not, because that's what God has called us to do. But if someone's elect, they will be saved whether you preach to them or not. But you're going to miss out on a blessing, right? He's saying here, the Father is the one Who's going to make you eat my... And the idea there, eating his flesh and drinking his blood means to go all in with Christ. Full identification. Full identification with him. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the man and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. You want the true bread of life? It's Christ. Why do you do communion? What's the significance of communion? Remembrance. Remembrance of what? His broken body, the blood. And when we eat that in remembrance, we are identifying ourselves in a sense with his sacrifice, with him. Also, because we need to like, huh? Also, maybe we need to abide in the I don't. The, the force, um, force people to, to eat my flesh and drink and try abide in me. Yes. To abide. But that, if you do that, you stay with me. Yes. And then we unite together. Right. Then. And, and one of the things here, this, salvation here is irreversible, but because it is not you who's keeping it, your faith real. It's God who's granted you the faith to believe 
and is holding on to you. Although you hold on to him, he's holding on to you. You can't, you know, I, I know a bunch of Arminians who believe you can lose your salvation. It's like, how do you live with that? How can you go through the day thinking that, you know, if you, you know, just before the train runs you over, you say a bad word and God says, you're right up to the point. You had to swear, didn't you, before it hit you? You're, you're, sorry, off to hell. You're done. You know. You know, what, what kind, you know, that's a horrid way to live. To think that, you know, or, or God said, you know, you were doing fine, but you forgot this once and you committed 25 years ago. You never confessed it. Sorry, you're not in. One, bye. <coughs> that's a horrid way to live. This, the, you know, this, this is such comfort. The perseverance of the saints. You didn't do anything to get saved. God gave you the faith to believe. You responded, absolutely you did. But how could you do that? God gave you the ability to do that. The Father drew you. The Father gave you life. How can you do anything to get unsaved? I don't, you can't, right? And if in Romans 8 says, He knew you, chose you in eternity past for glorification in eternity future, is there anything you can do along the way to muck it up? And better yet, when you were when when you were when you received Christ as your Lord and Savior, what did God know about you? And He knew every sin you would ever commit. What did He do? He still forgave you. So can you do any sin that catches Him off guard? No. You're forever secure. And what you see here is Christ preaching to the crowd and them totally fixated on the physical realm. And he's trying to bring these spiritual concepts in. And they're not getting it. But who gets it? Who understands the spiritual connection? Those who see the Son and believe, who are they? They're the ones that were given to Christ by Father. And who else are they? They're the ones that the Father sovereignly drew to himself. He drew them. First time you say the body, flesh, and then later, later, first the chain, flesh. So it's a human body with flesh and blood together. So this is he talking about, and John talking about the life. And 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 there, the life and the blood. The blood of Christ is not the physical fluid as much as it is his life. That's, that's the imagery it is. And when we say Christ shed his blood for us on a cross, did he just bleed a little bit? He died as a sacrifice for us. I don't know what time it is. Oh, 15 minutes yet. Good. We'll get through here, hopefully. Now let's look at verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when he heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Wait a minute. Now, there are some that say, look, if you're a disciple, that means you were saved. There are some that believe that. They've actually got a guy who wrote a book on that. All the disciples of Christ that, you know, we see disciple, they're the believers. What did they say? What did it say? Some of the disciples, they heard this. They said, you know, this is a hard saying. Now, what is the idea there? 
it could be hard saying in a couple of sense. Number one, we don't understand what it means, but the second thing could be we sort of understand it, but we don't want it. We reject it. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? Now, this hints at me that they knew, they at least had an inkling of what he was telling them. They connected up the fact of eating his flesh and drinking his blood had to do with being all in with him. All right? They, 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 they caught that. And he's saying, does it offend you when I tell you that it's going to cost you everything? You're going to have to be all in. You have to be a full partaker of what I'm going through. What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. It is the Spirit that gives you life. The words I'm giving you gives you life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. He knew who were the believers were and who weren't. They say, you know, even among you, there are some of you who do not believe. You, you, you do not believe what I am telling you. Because you're blind and because you reject it. <coughs> because the Father has not given you understanding. <coughs> and he said, therefore I've said to you that no one can come... Listen, this should clear it up. No one can come to me unless what? Who can come to Christ? God allows to come. Look, I don't know how else to interpret this. I, I really don't. I, I don't. Christ is saying, you know, you don't believe, and the reason you don't believe is because it has not been granted to you by the Father to believe. If you don't believe, you're not one of the A, B's, or C's, or D's here. You're not one of them. The Father must draw. The Father must work. I mean, think about your own salvation experience, how it was. Did, did you come... Here's another thing we got, we got to sort out here, as an aside. Some would say, well, you know, we don't like the doctrine of election because you have this thing in there called irresistible grace, which basically said those who are elect will respond, and they can't reject. All right? And, and, and that sounds mean. You know, God's going to drag you by your hair into heaven against your protestations. Is that what it means? How many of you became a Christian but really didn't want to? What did God do? He wooed you, didn't he? He drew you to him. He drew you to him. Now, what may have been tough for you is to give up your sin, right? That may have been the tough part. But you didn't become a Christian 
all the while not wanting to. No, God, I don't want to go to heaven. No, I don't want to be saved. No, I want to go to hell. Leave me alone. You know, no, that wasn't the way it was. You wanted to come to Christ, right? Why did you want to come? Father drew you. You love him because he first loved you. And when you really grab a hold of that, you're going to stay up at night thinking and, 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 and meditating on the wonder and the majesty of God. You're going to wonder, you're going to stand in awe of his grace to you. And in that, in that standing, there is no room for pride. You're not going to be like the Pharisee that says, God, I, I'm glad I'm not a tax collector like that guy. Uh, you know, I give you 10% of my income. You know, I go to church every week. You're not going to fall into that arrogant group. You're going to lower your head and you're going to look at the ground and say, God, you're merciful to me, a sinner. And you're going to stand in awe. And when you get to heaven, you're going to just stand in awe and wonder of his love for you. And when someone looks over and says, Schaefer, how'd you get here? I'm going to say, I don't know. Ask him. You know, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing here. You know. There's no room for pride. There's no room for arrogance. There's no room to stand in heaven and say, I got here because I did this. God owes me this. God doesn't owe you anything. And what you see throughout here is Christ trying to bring these people to understand. It is the Father who draws. It is the Father who grants you understanding and comprehension. Do you believe? Of course you do. But why is it that you believe? It's because the Father grants you, is it there? He grants you the privilege of believing. It's been granted to you by the Father. And that means that the faith that you have right now, that's not your faith. You ever think about that? Why do you believe in a place you've never seen? Anybody see heaven? I know there's some guys that wrote books about going to heaven. Forget that. Anybody here have been to heaven? Yeah. Did anybody, did anybody have God audibly speak to them? You ever see Jesus? How about the devil? That's not your mother-in-law. The devil. Why is it that you believe in a Savior you've never seen? Why? They've got places for people who believe in things that aren't there, right? Why is it that you believe that? Because you woke up one morning and made a great intellectual decision that you were going to be a Christian? Because you looked at all the religions of the world and said, ah, I'll pick Christianity. That's the one. 
You're there because God has granted you the faith to believe. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. That refers to faith. Grammatically in the Greek's text, that refers to faith, not grace. Okay? That faith is not of yourselves. It is what? The gift of God. Your faith was a gift that God gave you. And the minute you got that, what were you able to do? I was able to believe, but it wasn't my faith. Now, what's the good side of but What's the good thing about that? It's not. You can't keep it. You can't lose it. It's God who gave it to you. It's his faith. You know, the book of Job, you know, the, the whole book of Job, if you want to really understand the book of Job, what it is, is God's trying to show Satan that the faith I give doesn't fail. Satan said, yeah, yeah, right. You know, why does Job believe you? Well, you know, the guy's a millionaire. No wonder he believes you. That's the Benny Hinn stuff. God's a millionaire. I mean, the guy's a millionaire. He believes you. Of course he will. And God said, okay, you take it all away. So Satan did. What happened? Job still believed. And he said, yeah, yeah, right. You know, but now touch his body now maybe. Okay, you can do anything but kill him. Now, if you were Satan, you could do anything to anybody but kill them. How bad would you make it for him? You'd make it as bad as you could. You'd make it as bad as you could, and he did. And what did Job do? Yeah. So okay. Why? Because it wasn't his faith. It was God who gave it to him. It wasn't his faith. God granted him that faith to believe. And and it was, you know, we look at that and we 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 think. You know, why did God do that to him? God was trying to show Satan that the faith that he gives is an unassailable faith. Now, if you had had Benny Hinn back then, what would be Benny be telling him? Well, you know, your problem is, you know, you, you just, you don't have enough faith. He'd be one of the friends there. Well, you don't have enough faith. You have another say, well, you know, you need to bind the devil. That's your problem. You just need to bind the devil and you won't have this problem. And another guy says, well, you know, you, you don't have the, the anointing of the Spirit. You know, you need to get the anointing, the filling and the anointing, and the double anointing and the blessing. And, all, you know, they'd be just one of these other guys. And that's not what it was at all. Yeah. Yeah. Mentioned the book of Job, but when I first read the book of Job, I mean, it blew my mind the first time I read that. Because right on, in, on the onset, in the end of chapter one, where he said, The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, after all that, is that I mean, that was his first victory right there over Blessed be the name of the Lord. He accepted that God gives you everything and He's taken away, you know? Just blew my mind. The Satan really still does. He have that access to go back and forth to heaven. Right? Yeah. So far, he does, yeah. We know that because in Revelation he's going to be cast out and he's going to lose that access. Right now he apparently does have it. Yeah. But you, you saw, and I take great comfort in that because I, you know, if my if my salvation depended on me hanging on, I'm done for. I'm done for. I can't hang on. My faith is not strong enough. God's faith is. 
It's the faith that he grants me that enables me to hang on, that enables me to believe, that enables me to, to, to put it all on the line, to enables me to, to place my eternal destiny in the word of someone I've never seen yet. I've never talked to Jesus. He's never appeared to me. By the way, he didn't appear to Benny Hinn or any of these other guys either. Yeah. And Christ is saying here, you can't come to me unless it's been granted to you by the Father. And then he says here, from that time many of the disciples went back and walked no more with him. Why? It had not been granted to them by the Father to stay. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away too? Simon Peter answered him, he's answering for the true ones. Lord, where was she, Where do you go? You have the words of eternal. Where are we going to go? Now, why did Peter say that? Because he was bright, brilliant? No, he didn't say that because he was brilliant. He said that because God gave him the sight. Here's another thing to understand. The reason you understand anything spiritually is not because of your great intellectual capacity. The only difference between you and Phil Donahue is that God gave you the faith and not him. Or you'd be saying the same nonsense that you hear on TV. And he's saying here, you have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. How did he understand that? The Father drew them. <coughs> now, did Peter and them have to believe? Yeah. But how did they believe? Because it had been granted to them the ability to believe. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? Now, there's one who was there, but he really wasn't. I believe it was he. Devil. Why was Judas in? Why was Judas one of the disciples? Because God ordained that. Well, God ordained him, but from his perspective, what did he want? Personal gain. Personal gain. Yeah. Hey, this is the Messiah. You know, when he when he becomes king, you know, I'm one of the twelve. You know, hey, you know, I get some authority here. Christ knew Judas would betray him. Did Christ make Judas betray him? Judas did it of his own choice, didn't he? The Gospels give four different answers. Jesus, they record four different answers to that question. No, they record four different answers and four different responses to Simon Peter saying, you are Christ, the Son of the Living God. In this context. No, no, I'm talking about this, all four Gospels. There's a different answer that Jesus. Mm -hmm. Why, why, why was, why was that? I mean, it's so clear that I mean, the only one, the only one where they say 
Jesus said, well, you knew this, Simon, because God revealed that to you. Okay. That was, that was in Matthew. But yeah. Was, just seems this is not the Mount of Transfiguration. What was the question asked? Well, the question is, who do people say that I am? Yeah. Yeah. This is not the Mount of Transfiguration. Yes, it's a different. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's different. That's the Mount of Transfiguration. That's a different occasion than this one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Because here you got all twelve of them in the Mount of Transfiguration. You don't. Well, they're all, they're on their way to the Mount of Transfiguration. This this is a different occasion. So we got the how where were we supposed to be at today anyways through chapter six? Yeah. Also we're on schedule. All right. Yeah, it is it's unbelievable. <laughs> Folks, you know, all I can encourage you to do is to make all the verses fit. Make all the passages fit. And where there's apparent paradox, just chalk it up to your inability to figure it out right now. And let it lie. And um, believe it. Believe both pieces. <coughs> the author of this book, Homer, he, uh, he wrote uh, this chapter 6. Contrast to Unbelief there and believe right. What's the yeah. All right. Well, next week we'll hit chat. Well, next week's pizza week. Yeah. So let's not forget that. And uh, any questions or comments or anything here? Right. Father, thank you for this night of study, and I pray that you'd help us to ponder and meditate on these things. Mm -hmm. Admittedly, Father, there's a lot here that it's tough to understand. We're fallen. We have a warped understanding, and a lot of us um, have a lot of traditional thinking we have to work through. But I pray that we would have a, we just have a desire to understand your word whatever it tells us and to take it for whatever it says and to understand it and we thank you father for this time that we've had to study and the, the, the insight that the holy spirit has given us and we thank you for this day in christ's name amen thank you for listening this podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.